Good morning. Today we begin a three-week sermon series on our vision statement, Seek God, Share Love, Build Community. Today we'll talk about seeking God. And our text comes from the book of Acts, chapter 17, verses 22 through 31. Then Paul stood in front of the Areopagus and said, Athenians, I see how extremely religious you are in every way. For as I went through the city and looked carefully at the objects of your worship, I found among them an altar with the inscription to an unknown God. What therefore you worship as unknown, this I proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it, he who is Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in shrines made by human hands, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mortals life and breath and all things. From one ancestor he made all nations to inhabit the whole earth, and he allotted the times to their existence and the boundaries of the places where they would live, so that they should search for God and perhaps grope for him and find him, though indeed he is not far off from each one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being, as even some of your own poets have said, for we too are his offspring. Since we are God's offspring, we ought not to think that the deity is like gold or silver or stone, an image formed by the art and imagination of mortals. While God has overlooked the times of human ignorance, he, now he commands all people everywhere to repent, because he has fixed a day on which he will give the world, when it will, he will have the world judged in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. And of this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. Let us pray. Lord Jesus, help us to seek for and find you in everyday life. Lord, may we see you in the beauty of creation and the kindness of friends. May, may we experience you in this time of worship. Lord, I ask that the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. Lord, my strength and my redeemer. Amen. Why doesn't God speak to us anymore, like in Bible times? It's a question I often hear from God seekers. We'd like the certainty of a burning bush or a Damascus Road experience, but few of us ever have that. We're left to try to intuit God's messages to us in our hearts and in our minds. We'd, we'd like something definitive. We'd like to hear God with our ears. Actually, there are messages all around us right now. In whatever room where you are, uh, you're just being inundated with all sorts of messages. Dozens, maybe hundreds of messages are just shooting right through the room, right where you are. There are cell phone signals, satellite signals, internet signals. The room is filled with messages, and we're oblivious. We don't even know that they're there. There are serious conversations, there are shows, there are videos, all sorts of stuff that's going on right in front of us, and we are oblivious because we don't have a way to tune in. We are completely unaware. In order to know what's going on in those messages, in order to hear, in order to find out the truth about those messages, then we need a device that is capable of receiving and translating the message. Uh, I can use my cell phone to tap into some of those messages, or uh, a, a satellite receiver would tap into others, but the messages are all around us. We just need a way of listening. Well, maybe God is speaking far more than we realize. Paul says that God is not far away from any of us. Now, he's speaking to Athenians, 
speaking to people who are polytheists. They worship lots of gods, lots of false gods, and they have this temple to an unknown God. And Paul says, that God that you don't know, let me tell you about him. And so he is saying, even to these people that are raised outside the faith, even to these people who have no knowledge of God, that God is not far away, that God is very near, and that if we seek, we might find. Paul Paul says, God is not far from any of us. Perhaps the question is not, why doesn't God speak, but why don't we listen? And listening has always been a problem. We want a burning bush experience like Moses. You may remember that Moses is walking up on the mountain and, and he looks and he sees a, a bush that is consu- that is burning with fire, but it's not consumed. It's on fire, but it's not burning up. And uh, Moses says, well, I have to turn around and see this thing. And sure enough, he uh, he stops and God speaks, says, take off your shoes for your own holy ground. And, and God calls him at that burning bush moment to go and to liberate the Hebrew slaves. But I don't believe that's the first time that God spoke to Moses. Maybe the first time Moses heard, but I don't believe it's the first time that God spoke. Uh, decades earlier, uh, Moses had watched a, an Egyptian beat a Hebrew slave. Well, Moses had figured out his Hebrew ancestry, and he couldn't stand the thought of seeing that Egyptian beat the Hebrew slave, and so he stepped in and broke it up and actually murdered the Egyptian who was beating the slave. That prompted Moses to flee, to run away from Egypt uh, into the wilderness. Uh, I believe that it was at that moment that God was calling Moses to make a difference for the Hebrew people. But Moses' response then was violence. After the burning bush, Moses responded with deliverance. Uh, Maybe we'd like to have uh, a Damascus road experience like Paul. Remember, Paul was a persecutor of the church. Uh, He was rounding up folks like us and and imprisoning us and maybe even executing us. Um, And he's on the road to Damascus to do more of the same, to do more violence to the church. While he's on the way, Jesus appears to him on the road. Uh, knocks him down to the ground and says, Paul, uh, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And uh, that begins Saul's conversion, Paul's Paul's conversion experience. Um, he's blinded for three days, and then as he's healed from that, he's filled with the Spirit, and his life is changed forever. But again, I don't believe that was Paul's first call. Uh, I believe that Paul was called much earlier. Uh, Earlier in the book of Acts, we learn that when Stephen was stoned, uh, the first martyr, that that when Stephen was stoned, the people who stoned him laid their cloaks or their coats at the feet of a a boy named Saul. It's it's the same Saul. And there's a reason that uh, Luke includes that detail in the story in Acts. And, And I believe it's because it's at that moment that God is calling Paul to respond to make a difference, to become a Christ follower and a message for the gospel, and a messenger for the gospel. I believe that's Saul's call, but he doesn't hear it then. He responds with violence when he's first called. It's only much later that he has to have this dramatic experience where Jesus finally gets his attention in this dramatic way. Perhaps God only resorts to those extreme methods and extreme situations. 
when there's something important that needs to be done and when the messenger is too stubborn to hear any other way. I believe possibly God called Moses and Paul many times, and it took an extreme method to break through their stubbornness. So maybe maybe we don't need to pray so much for those uh, miraculous uh, revelations of God. Maybe we need to tune in to the everyday revelations that God wants to make. What if we could learn to listen, to tune in regularly, daily even, to the still small voice of God that still speaks every day? Well, for 2,000 years, Christ followers have consistently used certain disciplines to tune in to God's voice. May I recommend to you uh, that we at Forest Lake, as we at Forest Lake continue to seek God, we employ those methods. May I commend these messages, excuse me, can I commend these methods to all of us? The church calls them the instituted means of grace, but really they're just proven ways of listening to God. There are five of them. Let me go through them briefly. First, there's prayer. Uh, I almost wish we didn't use the word prayer because the way that we interpret that so often is just uh, a giving of a long laundry list of needs to God. We we give God a to-do list. We ask him to fix all of these things in our lives. And, and sometimes that's all there is to prayer. Now, hear me carefully. We should ask for what we need. There's nothing wrong with making our petitions to God, but prayer shouldn't stop there. Prayer should extend to communication with God to speaking and listening, to spending time in silence, enjoying God's presence. Uh, Prayer is much more robust than what we often make it out to be. Prayer can include journaling. And in my own life, uh, I start out most mornings by writing a letter to Jesus. And that's just one of the ways that I communicate. I write to to him just like I would a friend. Uh, Another way is in keeping a prayer list. Uh, I shamefully confessed at Ash Wednesday a couple of years ago that too often when people asked me to pray for them, uh, they said, Preacher, we need you to pray for a certain thing. I would say, well, yeah, I would, but then I'd never think about it again. And I came under conviction for that, that, that I was not treating those prayer requests seriously enough. And so I began uh, putting those in my phone. I've got a list in my phone, and when people ask me to pray for them, I write it down so that every day I remember to go back to that and and to call those people by name in prayer. Um, We should set aside significant amounts of time for prayer and meditation, for talking and for listening, for just being still before God and being available for God to say what God might want to say to us. I've also found it helpful to read the prayers of others. When I listen to my own prayers, I discover that I say a lot of the same things over and over again. And sometimes I don't pray the difficult things. I don't ask God to do the things in my life that are uncomfortable. But when I pray prayers that were written by the saints that have gone before, they lead me into praying things that I might never pray on my own. Uh, John Wesley encourages us to pray, let me be employed by thee or laid aside for thee exalted for thee are brought low by thee. I don't know that I would pray for God to bring me low if I didn't listen to the prayers of some of the saints. And so prayer obviously is one of those ways for us to communicate with God. A second is study. Uh, We should 
study to be informed by the scriptures. We need to know what's in the book. We we need to know the, the details. We need to dig into the facts and the story behind the story, the, the context in which the scriptures happened. But it's not enough to just know what's in the scriptures. We need to be transformed by the scriptures as well. One of my professors in seminary uh, actually was converted to Christianity while in the Marine Corps. He was an instructor in uh, officer candidacy school. And his sergeant actually is the one who facilitated his conversion to Christ. And his sergeant gave him instructions for how to study, for how to read the Bible. He said, uh, open up your Bible to the Gospels, to the book of Matthew. Read to the right. Read only as fast as you can understand and obey. That sounds like a Marine Corps approach to doing things, but it's made me think uh, that that's a good method for study. It's not about trying to just read through the Bible in a year necessarily. Read to the right. Read only as fast as you can understand and obey. He said it took him a month to get through the Gospel of Matthew, and he might have still been struggling with obedience there, to be honest. But study is an important part of the way that we understand who God is and how our lives are to be transformed by God's power. A third way of connecting with God is through fasting. Uh, that's the one that always gets people upset. It's amazing how many people say they would lay down their lives for their faith, but they won't give up a Big Mac for their faith. Yes, I would die for Christ, but don't ask me not to eat for a few hours. Uh, now, fasting Fasting is not always, in fact, frequently, it's not a supernatural experience. But what it does do is it demonstrates that God's will is more important than our desires. For a set amount of time when I fast, I am telling God that I, am, I prefer him to my own desires. I have a preference for God over my bodily wishes. It's an important discipline to learn. It's one way that we can demonstrate that God's will is supreme in our lives. A fourth way of tuning into the messages of God around us is through what John Wesley called holy conferencing, or we might refer to it as accountability. Uh, the most powerful tool in most any life change, whether it's weight loss or exercise or prayer or study, is the weekly check-in. When I know that I'm going to have to give an account to someone, I am more likely to get the work done. If somebody's going to ask me about my exercise, and I have a health coach that asks me on a monthly basis, how have I been doing on exercise? How have I been doing on, uh, on my diet? Uh, when I know I'm going to have to give account, I am encouraged to go ahead and take care of that thing, to do it. We know that's true. We know it's true in so many areas of our life. That's why uh, that, that's why people hire trainers. Um, who is it that holds us accountable for our spiritual growth? Is there anyone in your life that regularly checks in with you to see how you're doing with prayer and with study, with Christian disciplines? I would suggest that if there's not that person in your life, that it would be worth it to find that person, to seek that person so that he or she might encourage us on our Christian walks. So prayer, study, fasting, holy conferencing, these are all things that connect us with Christ. And then finally, holy communion. Now I confess to you, I'm an introvert. 
But during the pandemic, I craved eating with people. I wanted so badly to invite people over for a meal, to sit down at the table with friends and family, because something special happens around the table. I believe that's especially true this morning. We believe that Christ shows up at this table, that Christ is present at the table for Holy Communion, and that in that presence, we are transformed. Perhaps that's never been more real to me than during the pandemic when I began offering Zoom communion. Now, I've got to confess to you that I was I was a skeptic. I wasn't sure that doing communion over Zoom would be that meaningful. Uh, everyone in their own homes with their own elements. Uh, I wondered where the community was in the communion. And so I wasn't completely sure about how well it would go over. But then I, I did it a couple of times. And all we did was I met on the, uh, on the Zoom call to do communion. Everybody had their own elements. I didn't do a devotion. All I did was read through the liturgy. All I did was read the words we read every month. I consecrated the elements. And people received communion in their own homes. And as I looked around the computer screen, people were in tears. They were moved not by the craftiness of my message because there wasn't one. They were moved by the power of this meal. So when we come to the table, Christ meets us here and we are transformed. Five proven ways of connecting with Christ. Prayer, study, fasting, accountability, and Holy Communion. Why doesn't God still speak? That's a fair question. A better question what are we willing to do to listen? Let's start by meeting Christ at his table. Amen.